I will speak on the hindrance of restlessness this evening. So I'll just start with a little bit of a review of the hindrances. Very, very brief, because I know that you've been hearing about them. Restlessness is one of the five hindrances. I don't know how Shyla has been translating them, but the translations I usually use are uh, desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and anxiety, or restlessness and remorse, and doubt. And these states are the states of mind that typically obstruct our concentration, our ability to stay present in the present moment. They're called the hindrances, but the Pali term, nivarana, is also sometimes translated as covering. These hindrances are covering states. They cover the clarity of the mind. They cover the concentration of the mind. The hindrance of restlessness is a very fundamental hindrance. It can underlie the other hindrances. So a mind that is restless is one that's not settled or stable. So it's the antithesis of concentration. And in that restlessness, in that unsettled, unstable state, the mind is likely to go out and latch onto something it likes and start wanting it, desiring it, the hindrance of desire, or latch onto something that it doesn't like, that it wants to fix, that it wants to get rid of. That becomes the hindrance of aversion or ill will. Restlessness also can underlie the state of doubt. That If the mind is just agitated and not able to settle, doubt can often manifest out of that state of the mind not being able to land on anything in particular. It can even underlie the hindrances of sloth and torpor. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with a, a baby when it gets overstimulated, how it will just conk out. You know, it's, it, it gets so much stimulation that it just gets exhausted and conks out. And sometimes that happens with restlessness also. We get so much energy going through our system that we kind of just get on overload and then we get exhausted from being on overload. The hindrance of restlessness is kind of a fundamental hindrance to become familiar with. If we can become familiar with this restless state, we can sometimes start to see the mind in that restless, agitated state before it leaps into desire or before it leaps into ill will. So these hindrances of desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse and doubt, they tend to be some of the key ways that we suffer in our experience. And the Buddha had some very good advice for us when we suffer. He didn't say to try to get rid of it. He said to try to understand it. That was his key instruction around suffering, that it should be understood. So that points us to what we should do with these hindrances. We should try to understand them. Try to understand them when we experience them. Not to get rid of them, but to understand them for the sake of understanding them. When we turn our attention to the hindrances and we're no longer caught by them or our mind is no longer running out after them, we're no longer hindered in our practice. So the hindrances have this interesting role for us 
they do obscure our practice when we don't recognize that they are present. But as soon as we see they're present, they become our practice. And they're not in the way of our practice. They simply are the grist for the mill. Think of it like the compost of our experience. So really understanding something. In my experience in the meditation practice, this has meant not understanding intellectually, but really understanding the experience of. So understanding what the experience of ill will, what's the experience of restlessness, bringing mindfulness to our experience. Mindfulness has this really beautiful quality, I think, that it's a counterintuitive quality. Sometimes when we're told to pay attention to these states that seem so difficult or unpleasant, we wonder if it will just increase the that state. We tend to think of when we pay attention to something that it makes it stronger. But mindfulness has a very interesting quality in that when we pay attention to wholesome states of mind, when we pay attention to kindness, generosity, compassion, equanimity, tranquility, loving kindness, when we pay attention to states like that, being mindful of them in a non-judgmental, alert way, creates the conditions for them to appear more frequently in our experience. So it does have the conditions. Mindfulness does create the conditions to enhance or increase the wholesome qualities of our mind. But when we bring that same mindful, non-judgmental attention to ill will, to desire, to restlessness, to anxiety, to fear, to frustration, aversion, it creates the conditions for it to appear less frequently in our experience. It is as if the wholesome qualities of mind bask in the light and the warmth of mindfulness. And the unwholesome qualities of mind shrink from the clarity and brightness of the mindfulness. So there's no need to worry about bringing mindful attention to these unwholesome states of mind. As we do that, they become transforming. They they transform. They become the path. They become the way that we walk out of suffering. Another wonderful quality of mindfulness is that we can be mindful of anything. We can be mindful of sloth and torpor. We can be mindful of restlessness. So much of what I'll talk about tonight is how to work with this hindrance of restlessness, since this is the hindrance that is up for this week. How to get to know it, how to understand how it functions for us, and how to simply be with it. So restlessness and remorse are related to an excess of energy. The sloth and torpor that you talked about last week are usually related to a lowering or reduction of energy. And this is the opposite side of things, that restlessness is the quality when the mind has a little too much energy going on. So there's two aspects of this hindrance. There's the the restlessness, and then there's what's translated as remorse, sometimes also translated as worry or anxiety. So the restlessness can refer to either restlessness of body or restlessness of mind. 
So restlessness of body, I'm sure you're all kind of familiar with that. It's just when the body does not feel like it can sit still. And sometimes in meditation, this can get really unpleasant. It can feel like there's just jumping beans under the skin, or just like your whole body just has this whole energy coursing through it. It can be a very unpleasant experience. The mind can also be restless. It can be unable to settle on any particular object. You try to bring it to the sensations of breathing, and it's just off to hearing and um, body sensations and thoughts, and the mind is spinning off into thoughts. So the mind can also have that restless quality, a kind of a jumpy quality to it. The quality of remorse has usually to do with when the mind is agitated or restless because of something we've done in the past or something we've not done, something we regret either having done or not done. The mind in those kind of situations tends to play the the situation over and over again. And that's the restless quality of mind when it just keeps repeating over and over again about something from the past like that. The translation around uh, worry or anxiety points to the way we can be restless about things that might happen in the future. The way we're worried about how something is going to come out in the future, what we're going to do, how we're going to plan to do something. Planning often has this quality of anxiety to it. And the mind just keeps spinning over and over again. How am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna figure this out? This piece doesn't fit with that piece. I can't do that with, when I do this. How can I figure this out? The mind just keeps spinning in this kind of restlessness. Restlessness can manifest both in really obvious, hard-to-ignore forms, like the sensation of it just being nearly impossible to stay seated in your chair, or the mind that's just spinning out into the future or reviewing the past. Or it can take much more subtle forms, just a very subtle, you know, the mind is pretty quiet, the, the, the body is pretty settled, and just a little tiny bit of, oh, how can I make this continue? Or how can I make this go a little deeper? You know, just a little restlessness of mind to change things, just even very subtly. That can be a, a very subtle kind of restlessness. It's manifesting even when the mind is fairly stable and fairly settled. The Buddha had a number of similes or a couple of similes for all of the hindrances, but I'll just talk about the similes he used for, for restlessness tonight. He had a simile around a, a body of water, a, a pool of water for all of the hindrances. And for restlessness, he likened the mind to being blown pond or a pool of water that's blown by wind. And anybody who tries to lean over that pool of water and look is not going to be able to see the reflection because the surface of the pond is agitated. That You can even sometimes feel that. The Buddha actually had a genius for creating similes. You know, the, the, the quality of the ruffled waves on the pond, the body can actually sometimes feel like that. The mind can sometimes have that feeling of being ruffled like that. The other analogy uh, the Buddha used about restlessness is that it is like being enslaved, like somebody 
having, like you're a slave and you have a master that says, you have to do this now, you have to do that now, you have to do this. And that, that quality of mind, of the mind just going, oh, I've got to think about this now, I've got to do that now, our habits, patterns will leap in and they are like a master to us. It's like the habit comes along and says, we've got to do this now, I've got to fix this, I've got to figure out how to get rid of that. And, and it's like we're a slave to our habits. And that restlessness of mind is responding to, that, to those hab- habitual patterns of mind. One way I like to think about that stilling of the restlessness of the, the water, the image of the rippling water. You can think about the stilling of the pond and then the pond becoming very clear. There's another analogy that that I also like to think about. And that's, especially for the subtle kinds of restlessness, there's a kind of a, a restlessness that we sometimes even don't know is present until it disappears. It's kind of like we've become so habituated to a low level of restlessness that we don't notice it. And then suddenly when we drop into a state of a deeper calmness, it becomes really clear. It's like the experience you have in your house when the refrigerator is going and you don't notice it, but then when it goes off, there's that quietness and peace that happens. That's the subtle distinction between that subtle restlessness in the mind and the dropping into silence and stillness. So how do we work with restlessness in our practice? So it's a challenging one to work with sometimes because the body can be just so coursed with energy that it is very difficult to stay in meditation practice. The first thing to do is just recognize it. Simply recognize that it is happening at a very gross level. Just You can use the naming or noting noting restlessness or agitation. I like the term agitation. It, it feels a little more neutral to me that just that there's just a, a, an agitation of mind. One of my teachers, Sharon Salzberg, tells a story that, you know, she just, when she found herself in this restless state, she just didn't sit because she figured it wasn't worthwhile that it wasn't, there wasn't any point to sitting when the mind was restless because she could see that she wasn't able to be present. You know, the mind would go off and then she'd come back for a split second and the mind would go off again and then she'd come back for a moment and then it'd go off again. It's like, well, what's the point of this? So when her mind was very settled and still, she would sit in meditation and she'd have a lovely experience of quiet, of concentration, of calm, of peace. And that's, she thought, that's what meditation was supposed to be like. But at some point, she went to her teacher, and she was in India doing this practice. And her teacher, um, his name was Munindraji. And she went to Munindraji and reported this experience to him and said, you know, when I'm, when I'm, um, not, when I'm restless, I just don't sit. I just get up. And his advice to her was, when you're experiencing that restlessness, just put your body there. You don't have to try to be present all the time. Notice when you come back and the mind will go off again. But just put your body there. There is some value to simply sitting through this experience. 
to knowing this is what the mind is doing and coming back as best you can. Just keep coming back and coming back. Sometimes um, my teacher Gil Fronstahl likes to say that a successful sitting is simply getting to the end of it. it. It doesn't have to be particularly mindful or clear, but just the fact that you have the determination and resolve to stay present. You're cultivating good qualities in this. You're cultivating the quality of determination. You're cultivating the quality of patience. And you're cultivating what mindfulness you can. So just put your body there. See what what happens if you just put your body there. So the rest of what I talk about is going to assume pretty much that you will be able to put your body there and hang out with it a little bit. Although sometimes it is helpful if you find yourself extremely restless in a sitting meditation, you can get up and try to do walking meditation or standing meditation. Sometimes it can help to allow the body to be in a posture that consumes a little more energy so that the mind can be a little more present. So sometimes it can help to do walking meditation or standing meditation. So if you are able to just sit with it, to put your body there, the physical version of restlessness is usually pretty easy to recognize. It's, uh, it's got that quality of just like this coursing of energy or sometimes, like I mentioned before, jumping beans under the skin. It's just so unpleasant. In working with physical restlessness, it's often really helpful to let the mind not try to focus on the uh, specific sensations of restlessness, to not try to actually directly focus on the physical experience, but instead let the mind get really big. Like I mentioned at the end of the guided meditation, when I pointed you to this quality, perhaps some of you might have been feeling a little bit of restlessness. Letting the mind get really big, allowing the restlessness to get as big as it wants to, encompass the whole room so that it doesn't feel like it just has to stay in this body. The experience can get very large. And when you allow the mind to relax and just get large with the experience, sometimes it's a little easier to stay present with that experience. At one point, I was doing a self-retreat at home. And every night, I had this incredible restlessness coursing through the body. It was so difficult to stay put, but I had a pretty strong determination to to just stay with it for the period of time that I had set for my meditation, which was 45 minutes. And at some point one evening, partway through the retreat, I recognized that that there was a resistance to the experience. There was a resistance to the feeling. And that there was some kind of way in which I felt like the body knew what it wanted to do with this experience that I was trying to do something with the restlessness, but it was really the body knew what it wanted to do with it. And so I just kind of let go and allowed the body to do what it wanted to do with it. And at that point, it felt like, it felt like the energy just like blew a hole in the top of my head. And there was just this energy streaming through the body out the top of my head. And it became much easier to just be with it as it felt like the, the, the energy had a, had a path through the body, essentially. It wasn't contained in the body anymore. It was like moving through. And that became much easier. So 
letting go as much as possible of resistance to restlessness. If there's any resistance to restlessness, that's a form of uh, ill will, a form of aversion. One of the other hindrances, we sometimes call that a multiple hindrance attack. (laughs) Because there's more than one hindrance going on at the same time. And what, what we do in that case is we, we generally try to pay attention to whichever one is uh, most obvious or the most prime, primary. So if you're experiencing this resistance to restlessness or aversion to restlessness, then allowing yourself to feel what is that aversion like or what is that resistance like? Can you allow yourself to experience that? It's helpful in this process to come into the body. Allow yourself to just experience the bodily sensations, especially when there is aversion. Often the aversion will manifest as some kind of a story. I can't stand this. I've got to get rid of this. I'm never going to be able to sit through this. There's some kind of a story going. And if we can let go of the story and just be with, well, what does it feel like to resist this? Restlessness. Where is the tightness? Where is the holding? You might in moments see the resistance let go and then just feel the restlessness. And you'll see actually that it's easier to just experience the restlessness than it is to experience the resistance to the restlessness or the aversion to the restlessness. The fewer the hindrances, the easier it is. <laughs> you, get, you get hindrances piled on top of each other. It can get kind of chaotic in the experience. So just noticing what is the primary hindrance and bringing your attention there, perhaps to where it manifests in your physical experience. Another way to uh, work with restlessness, and this is a kind of an interesting one, it's a subtle one, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. And that is um, to become aware that you know that restlessness is happening. So every experience that we have, every experience, whether it's a physical sensation, a mental experience, with every experience we have, there's the thing, the experience itself, so restlessness in this case, and then there is the mind that knows the experience. So there's the knowing of the experience, and there is the experience. So in this case, there's restlessness, and there is the knowing of the restlessness. So if you can recognize that you know you're restless. And sometimes all it takes is a shifting of um, the noting in your mind. If you're using the noting, you, you move from a noting of restless to knowing restlessness. Or sometimes people find it helpful to think the mind is knowing restlessness rather than I am knowing restlessness. The mind is processing, doing this experience. The mind knows restlessness. The knowing experience has some really interesting qualities to it. It's, it's very clear, it's very non-judgmental, and it's neutral. It's a neutral experience to be in the experience of knowing. So one of the interesting aspects of this, playing with this knowing of restlessness, is that it'll be very clear to you when you actually land in the knowing versus being in the restlessness. 
because restlessness is a pretty unpleasant experience. It'll be really clear that you're in the restlessness if you're experiencing all these unpleasant physical sensations. If you um, can shift to the knowing, if you actually can, your mind can be more aware of the knowing, there will be a shift and the experience will become more neutral because the mind is more attending to the knowing of the restlessness than it is to the restlessness. So it's very clear uh, when you actually can touch into that knowing because there's a shift of experience that it becomes, oh, this is just restlessness in the body and it, 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 the, the charge is taken out of it when we can land in the knowing. So just play with that a little bit. You can play with it using the noting, knowing restlessness, or the mind knows restlessness. And see, sometimes it, it's just like flipping. Uh, it's, it's like a figure ground kind of flip in the mind that uh, there's the, the thing you're usually used to paying attention to that usually captures our attention. And then there's this process of knowing that goes on that's actually taking it in. So it's just like kind of flipping to the other side of our experience. The mental form of restlessness uh, often manifests as a lot of thinking. You can tell there's just the, the mind just can't stop thinking. And often in this case, there's something fueling the thinking, some kind of an emotion, perhaps, uh, worry or um, fear, perhaps, fueling the emotion, the mind kind of spinning out, churning into the future. Again, it's really helpful sometimes to allow the attention to go really wide, to kind of step back and say, what's going on? Why is the mind just spinning out? Sometimes the the mind will just start spinning and we don't really know what it's spinning about. Sometimes it's very clear. We're angry about something or we're wanting something. And then the hindrance of... uh, ill will or the hindrance of um, desire is primary. But sometimes it's just spinning and we don't really know what it's spinning about or what emotion is underneath it. And so opening up, kind of stepping back and saying, well, what is going on here? You can even just ask yourself, what is going on here? And sometimes it will become clear. I had an experience of this at one point. uh, I was driving and I, could, I noticed that the mind just kept projecting into the future. It just would, would just spin out into the future. And I just kept noticing that and coming back, noticing the hands on the steering wheel, trying to stay present for the driving. But the mind just kept spinning out into the future. And it wasn't a pleasant spinning. I mean, it was a, it was a how am I going to do this? How am I going to figure this out? It was, a, it was, a, it was a, an unpleasant kind of experience. And at some point... Um, after having come back and seen the mind spin out many times, I realized there's something going on here. So I kind of just said, well, what is happening? Step back and just, what is happening in the mind? And what I realized was that I was really happy. And the mind was trying to figure out how to stay happy. How can I keep this state of mind? And I had not even noticed the happiness. So that restlessness came from a kind of big energy that came out of the happiness. And it's like, oh, you know, how is this going to happen in my life? And, oh, I better make sure that that person understands how this is going to work. And it was 
It was ridiculous. <laughs> so sometimes we can be surprised when we open up like this. You know, I would not have expected happiness to underlie that very unpleasant spinning in my mind. I was completely taken by surprise. So opening up, taking a step back and asking what's going on here when there's restlessness. You can sometimes uncover something that you hadn't seen. If there are a lot of thoughts going on with restlessness, it's really helpful particularly in this kind of experience, to come into the body and see if you can notice where the restlessness is manifesting in the body. Sometimes I find that when the mind is spinning out, it's, really, it's actually sometimes even more unpleasant than the body being uh, jittery. The body, if the body is jittery, you can sometimes stay present for it, but when the mind is spinning out, it's, it's hard to stay uh, mindful. So if you can bring your attention into the body and notice where the uh, physical manifestation of this mental spinning is happening, you might notice some energy through the body. You might notice a tension or tightness in your heart or a contraction in your stomach. Just notice where in your physical experience you notice this energy. And this serves the purpose of Uh, keeping you mindful in the present moment. And it also helps to cut the attachment to the thinking. And the thinking process is tending to uh, perpetuate this restlessness. So if you can cut the thinking process by coming into the physical experience of the body, uh, you'll have a chance then to uh, allow it to wind itself out. These hindrances and restlessness in particular it's kind of like your, your, your mind is, is like rushing 60 miles an hour down the freeway or 100 miles an hour down the freeway. It's just going so fast. And when we come into mindfulness around it, it doesn't mean that it stops like that. It's like putting a car into neutral. When you um, put a car into neutral that's going 100 miles an hour down the freeway, it doesn't stop. It just Uh, stops going quite as fast. It it begins to slow. So when we stop feeding the momentum of the restlessness with the thoughts, we have a chance to allow it to kind of wind itself out in a natural way, as as if that car is coming to, to rest by putting it into neutral. So when we bring mindfulness to our experience, to something like restlessness, it doesn't mean that it ends immediately but it does mean it has a chance to kind of live out its life and then kind of flow out, almost like a breath flowing out. It's also helpful in this, um, you can try the exercise of the knowing restlessness when you're in mental restlessness as well. See if you can just recognize the mind knows that it's got this mental restlessness. You could use the noting again, knowing restlessness, knowing agitation, knowing spinning. The quality of remorse is sometimes difficult to be with. This is when the mind is going back over something that we wish we hadn't done. Often what seems to happen is that we're we're like trying to figure out how to relive our past. You know, how do we have a better past? And it's not really possible. (laughs) So it's not terribly helpful. The thing I found most helpful with remorse is to actually allow myself to feel the remorse. 
It's not an unskillful thing. It's like, you know, this is the consequence of having done this thing. You know, if we've done something that we've legitimately got reason to feel bad about or legitimately like we've hurt somebody or, you know, we've caused somebody harm in some way, the feeling of remorse around that is, it's just the recognition of it's like this. When I've behaved in that way, this is the consequence. And there's a way in which not resisting that feeling of remorse, there's a, feel, a way that we can drop into the actual connection with the person that we've hurt. A way that we drop into a connection with the, um, the sadness or the, the feeling of... Sadness is really the, the place it drops into most for me. When I allow myself to not resist the remorse, and when just it's just able to be with that sadness. And there may, out of that, also come some desire or wish, a wholesome wish, to make some amends, to, um, to apologize or to express some kind of, make some kind of redress to the action. So remorse is not something necessarily to run away from. It's something that can inform us about how we can more skillfully choose in the future. So we can learn from it and move on. There's no need to beat ourselves up with guilt around it. Guilt and remorse are different things. Guilt is the, you know, I shouldn't have done that, that was so stupid. Remorse is more, this is the consequences. How can I move on from here? What can I do to make amends? What can I do to redress this? action that I have done. There's no way to fix the past. We have to move on for, from here. So often we have a feeling with the hindrances in general that they're in the way. I mean, after all, they're called hindrances. So we think they're in the way of our meditation practice. We think we, our task with them is to get rid of them so that we can then become concentrated and then be mindful. But wanting to get rid of them is just another form of ill will. So it's adding another hindrance to the situation, another multiple hindrance attack. We can be mindful, we can be aware of these hindrances. And as I said before, when we're aware of them, they are no longer hindering our experience. They become our path when we are aware of them. And we can experience very clear, deep insights around these hindrances. I'm sure Shaila has talked about the understandings of impermanence, of suffering, of not-self. And we can come to understanding of the impermanence of hindrances. We can come to an understanding of the process nature of hindrances, that they are not me. I am not this hindrance. We can come to an understanding of the suffering nature, the unsatisfactory nature of the hindrance. And these are insights in our practice. So the, the hindrances, when we bring our attention to them, can actually be the doorway. They are the path when they're happening. They're not something to get rid of in order that we can get on the path again. They are the path. The hindrance of restlessness in particular is not one that we will lose anytime soon. The Buddhist path talks about there, that there are four stages of awakening and perhaps Shaila has talked about this, the first stage of awakening, there are the hindrance of doubt disappears at the first stage of awakening. 
at the second stage of awakening, along with some other things, at the second stage of awakening, there's just an attenuation of greed and aversion of the hindrances of ill will and desire. They don't go away at the second stage of awakening. So even at the, after the second stage of awakening, after you've gotten very clear, deep understanding of the truth of the end of suffering, the hindrances of aversion and desire are still present. It's only at the third stage of awakening that those hindrances drop away. And it's only at the fourth stage, the very end of the path, that restlessness drops away. So it is something that underlies a lot of the movement of mind. It can be very subtle, this movement of restlessness. So get to know it. It will be with us for a very long time. But as we learn to work with it, it can become our path. Observing the restlessness, when we're restless, when the restlessness disappears, it kind of shows us how we walk the path. It points our way to follow this. So those are my thoughts on restlessness. And we have a few minutes, about five minutes, I think, for any comments or any questions you might have. Um, you talked about desire, or I mean, sorry, ill will as being kind of the opposite of restlessness. You can have ill will towards your restlessness. But could also um, sloth, acceptance of restlessness be sloth and torpor? It could be, yeah. <laughs> it could be. I mean, you could just kind of get dull and like... <laughs> and, I mean, I could just sit and think for my whole meditation session and not ever, I mean, that would just accept the restlessness and not even try to go, and that could that be Yeah, it, it depends on how that acceptance is, is manifesting. <laughs> All of these hindrances, like, you know, they weave through each other. <laughs> So you, we, can, we can get restless out of being uh, aversive or we can get uh, sloth and torpor out of being restless and they can, they can all intertwine. So we really have to be very honest with ourselves of what the actual experience is. Is it just a dullness setting in that's allowing us to sit through it and we're not trying to do anything, we're just spacing out? Or are we actually making an effort to, to come back? So we have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. When we were talking about remorse and this pattern of kind of trying to edit the past, which certainly ran true for me, uh, you focused primarily on a situation where we may have unskillfully injured someone. But there seems to be another source for me of that kind of editing when I have acted in ways that are inconsistent with my self-concept. Mm. I'm thinking about ways that I could have been more clever or not less forgetful or uh, done several errands on one trip instead of going out and doing several different trips or something like that. Where I'd like to think of myself as better than I discover I was in my, my past. And you talked about responding to remorse, thinking about what, how one might redress an injury to someone else, but I'm not sure that in the case of a remorse around an inconsistency with my self-concept to try to figure out how to fix it is the most skillful means. No, you're right. Um, yeah, it's a different kind of remorse, I think. It's, um, it's not about uh, having done something wrong, more it's about... Well, it can be. I mean, I can imagine, I can imagine if you've got an image of yourself as being a, a green person. 
you know, someone who doesn't waste energy. And you um, neglect to go do all of your errands at one time. You know, that may be what you were referring to, you know, that, um, that there's a sense of perhaps having injured the planet. So there's a sense of somehow, you know, so there, there could be in that sense of, a sense of, okay, you know, that's not something I, I want to do. I want to try to be a little more careful in the future around that. I think the key is to letting go of the trying to edit the past and experience whatever the feeling is now because that will give you some clue uh, as to whether um, what aspect of your self-image is at in, in contest here and is this actually a part of your self-image that you want to cultivate or is it a part of your self-image that you want to let go of so it's really you know it's, it's coming into the experience of the moment and you'll see something about uh, what you know what the tension is about we have maybe time for one more yeah Doug. It, it seems again a little bit of remorse than dealing with it. It strikes me as being incredibly easy to lack self-examination when a remorseful thought would come to the, to the board. And you wind up in the cycle of generating suffering and self-examination, which is certainly not skillful. So how do you, I mean, obviously if you can be present enough, you well, if you if you wake up in the midst of self-recrimination, that's a kind of a form of uh, of ill will towards yourself. So that's what you pay attention to. You notice that feeling, and that's a hard thing to feel. So that's what you bring your attention to. What does it feel like to be beating myself up like this? And again, can you let go of the thoughts? and come into the body. It's really helpful to use the body as a tool, particularly for this kind of experience. What does it feel like in the body to have this feeling of self-recrimination? And you may, you'll feel probably both the remorse and the self-recrimination at the same time. But, and you may find as you come into the body that you come down to just the remorse as the thoughts begin to uh, Dissipate as you can stay with the body more. Now you're gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna end up leaping back out. You know, you're gonna, it's like you know what happens is you touch the feelings, and then it's like, oh, I don't want to feel this. I'd rather figure out how I can change my past. <laughs> Our minds do that kind of thing. So you just have to keep trying to come back into the body as much as possible. And at some point, you may notice a slight shift. At which point, you can just touch into the pure remorse. And I found actually it's interesting when I can just touch the remorse, it's like, oh, right. This is what it feels like. And it's, it's no longer um, the recrimination. And it's actually, you know, the recrimination is far worse than the remorse. It's interesting. It's almost like what we're trying to do is punish ourselves um, because we think we need to suffer for having done something wrong, so we punish ourselves that way. But we find, I think, that once we actually touch the remorse, we can actually find a more skillful way to deal with the remorse. We find a more skillful way to approach it rather than beating ourselves up and trying to figure out how to fix the past. So we should stop. So thank you all for your attention and your participation. And I'd like to wish that the practice 
that we've shared here this evening be offered um, to be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be safe. May all beings live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.